This is Postcards from Grafton. We are exploring the most fascinating people and places in our community and everything in between. I am your host, Fred Backstrom, librarian at the Grafton Midview Public Library. This podcast is made possible by the Grafton Village History Association. Today, we are speaking with Chris Smith, one of the authors of the book, The Lost Quarry Industry of Indian Hollow and Willow Park, and Carlisle Township Historical Society member. You'll learn a little bit more about one of the biggest industries of days past in the area. At one time, hundreds of people were employed by the nearby quarries to cut sandstone, and it was shipped near and far. You can find Chris and his co-author's book here at the Grafton Midview Public Library to borrow. And if you are interested in checking out all the information and photographs, I do strongly recommend it. Also, mark your calendars for the Carlisle Township Bicentennial Weekend coming up soon on September 10th and 11th. Should have lots of fun things and cool things to learn. Our history matters. Our community matters. Enjoy the stories. Morning, Chris. Thanks for being here um, and joining us to talk about the Carlisle quarries and I guess the quarry industry and the history of the quarry industry in general. So uh, why don't you introduce yourself real quick and and tell us why and and how I guess you got interested in in the history of the quarries. All righty. Thanks for having me in. Uh, I'm Chris Smith. Um, Back uh, several years ago, about 2010, uh, Paul Justy and I and uh, Joe Filippiak and uh, Mike Miller got together and we put together a book called The Lost Quarry Industry of Indian Hollow and uh, Willow Park. And the reason was I grew up right next to the, the, the old quarry property on Indian Hollow Road. Sure. And at one time my grandfather owned it. So it was kind of a, you know, we only knew the history from about the late 50s up until, you know, current. And of course, all the activity ended around 1919. So we figured if we didn't start looking into it, everyone who knows anything about it's going to die off. And so, uh, so we got busy on the project back in probably 2007. The book came out in 2010. So um, it's good to preserve those things while all those people are still around. Right. Right. We've, we've seen them go. And yeah, one of the one of the. Uh, Mr. Banks uh, was in the book. We interviewed him for probably almost two hours, hmm. and within a couple of years, you know, he had passed away. You know, yeah. so uh, you know, we got, but we got to uh, talk to him and get his memories, you know, mm-hmm. uh, well in advance of that. So that was a good thing. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and we do have the book here at the library. If anybody wants to look at it, it's we have lots of copies of it. It's, yep, it's very thorough. I know. So it's. It's a good resource to have. Yeah, it's about 200 pages, and it has 200 pictures in it. Most of them are old, old pictures, Mm so uh, starting with the one on the cover. um, And uh, it it goes through, it not only talks about coring, because it's kind of, you know, rocks. How much can you talk about rocks? (laughs) But more of the impact on the people of the time. And and a lot of the settlers uh, along Indian Hollow Road and a little bit in Grafton. Sure. Uh, I didn't focus as much of the book on Grafton because, of course, Doris had done her history book on Grafton. True. And all that information was well documented, so I didn't need to repeat a lot of it. So I, I tended to stick to the quarries, which are along the Black River, East Branch, mm-hmm. and to Parsons, Indian Hollow, Banks, Life, you know, Barnett Ridge, Laporte. Yeah. Uh, because, as I said, she had already documented her part uh, very well. So 
True, true. And you're part of the um, Carlisle Historical Society. Yes, uh, Carlisle Township Historical Society. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, with COVID, we haven't uh, met in two years. <laughs> true. Uh, however, we're going to remedy that now. Now, finally, it looks oh, like we're excellent. able to do that. So we'll have our first meeting at Lou's Pizza, probably April, well, probably May. Oh, excellent. <laughs> excellent. Kind of get back into the swing of things, too. But exactly. Yeah, and that's, uh, and I think that's, that's important for those township histories because I don't, there's not as many people focused on those right. as much, unfortunately, because, I mean, a lot happened with the quarries over in Carlisle, and I don't think anybody knows really about it too much. Yeah, it's, uh, of course, Lorraine County Historical yeah. Society is kind of responsible for the whole county, true, true. but it's such a mammoth task just doing Illyria. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, and there's another historical society in Lorraine, mm-hmm. and that's another full time. You know, there's a lot of work for everybody in every little area. Exactly, it's, it's hard for the the county can't focus on it as much as I'm sure they'd love to. But right, and luckily, and so, and anything we do with them, we pass along oh, the information to you know Lorraine County Historical since they're the kind of central repository of history for the county. Yeah, so. and make sure it's accessible to everybody and right. shared with the wider audience, which is very very important. So. so how did, I guess, how did the quarry industry start in the area? Like, why did they, how did they discover that it was? Well, surprising to me was uh, Heman Ely. And the first uh-huh. time I saw that name, I thought it was Herman. I, I did but, too, yes. But <laughs> Heman apparently that was a, a common first name at the time. Uh, and, uh, but Heman Ely obviously founded Illyria. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go back on the old, old property records, 1830s or 40s, where some of the quarries were dug in the Grafton area, he was the landowner. Oh, so okay. he was the first one, uh, you know, to realize, hey, there's a there's nice sandstone here. It's quarryable. It's not, you don't have to remove too much dirt to get to it because that just costs you money. Exactly. And uh, so he found it. But the problem was... You need a railroad to move True. any any distance, yeah. you know, because it's so heavy. Mm-hmm. And the main railroad lines in Grafton didn't get going until around 1850. Yeah, it was mid-century. Right. Yeah. And because a lot of the stone that was quarried in the Grafton area was shipped to downtown Cleveland. And mm-hmm. then from there would be shipped, you know, internationally or across the country. A lot of it went to Detroit and Canada and South America and, you know, but, uh, quite a ways, huh? yeah, so they need a rail line. And at some point, uh, uh, Mr. Ely decided, you know, I'm going to be a real old man by the time they get railroad line through Grafton. Mm-hmm. So, uh, he sold the land off and John W. Hart, uh, Hart, sure. got it. And so he started quarry operations in 1848 on the east side of the river, mm-hmm. uh, back where if people are familiar with it toward where the, Swim hole, everybody called the swim quarry. Um, I have, I've heard of that place. Yes. Now that that quarry was not the first one he did. That was a, mm-hmm. that one was done. Probably the last quarry. Oh, really? Uh, Doug was mm-hmm. was that one, um, but he had done some smaller ones back there. And the purpose of mm-hmm. which was the railroad. You know, they were working on the line from Cleveland sure. to, to Columbus to Cincinnati, and so they needed stone uh, just you know, crush it up into, you know, whatever size they needed uh, to put as the bed Just for, for the, the rail line. Yeah, yeah. So the so the railroad actually came in and laid track back to where the quarry was going to be uh, in 1848. Mm-hmm. So that was even before they had their own main lines. Yeah, done. that was even 
previous to that. Yeah, and the reason they did that was, you know, to help them construct their tracks, you know. Yeah. So enabling their expansion. Yeah. Exactly. And Mr. Hart, you know, before at that time was also uh, had a lumber company. Hmm. And so obviously a lot of old growth forest where the quarries ended up. So uh, they had to clear the land first and it worked out well there because railroads also needed ties. So, you know, lumber and stone, he was in the perfect place at the perfect time. So just sort of all worked out perfectly for, yes. <laughs> for, for him. Yeah. So it was pretty much a small time operation, you know, 1850s, 1860s. Uh, you know, by the time he got in the 1870s, it was a good sized quarry. And he, yeah. And he called it like Black River Quarries. Um, he had a, as time went on, he had a few variants of that. I've seen various names for it. Yeah. Right. And uh, so he ran it into right around 1880, if I remember correctly. It's in the book. You can check my yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, later. But, uh, and then he sold it to a Mr. Miller. Uh, Miller, sure. In Elyria. And so at that time, the name changed at some point to the Grafton Stone Company. Um, yes. And then continued operations under that name, bought up uh, the Elyria Stone Company, which was the quarry at Willow Park in Grafton. Right down here, yeah. And they also had another quarry in Elyria, uh, hence the name. Mm-hmm. And so in the late 1890s, you know, Grafton Stone bought that quarry. They bought the famous Mussy Quarry, which is like my 16th. 18th Street in Elyria. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they themselves ended up getting bought out by Cleveland Stone Company. Sure. And it, eventually that became Cleveland Quarries, which is still in existence today. So that's oh, really? kind of how it all. <laughs> I guess, I, yeah, I guess I didn't realize that was still yeah, operational in some, some Yeah, places. they are, um, they had been headquartered in uh, uh, Lorraine County uh, on the western edge of the county. Mm-hmm. And their quarries at this point were played out, yeah, uh, right. but they had another quarry in the county just west of Lorraine County. It was what, Erie or? Uh, uh, Huron? Huron, one right. of those two. One of those out there, yeah. And uh, so they still have operations right. out there. They had a old quarry from years ago um, there. And um, the funny thing was is back Several years ago, probably the 1990s or 2000s, whenever it was, the Cleveland quarries uh, changed ownership. And before they changed ownership, the old owners said, wow, we need to clean up the property. And they started pitching records that were oh, really? 100 years old. You know? Wow. And, and, uh, and then donated what was left to the Amherst Historical Society. At least they gave them something. They, they gave, well, yeah. it, was, it was fortunate because yeah. when they went to... It, in Stansland Coring, you don't want to waste time and money by by digging a lot of dirt out to get to rock that's mm-hmm. no good. Mm-hmm. Well, they knew that back in the 1920s, the quarry company had taken samples uh, in the area around the small quarry. Mm-hmm. And so they knew back then in the 20s which way to dig, mm-hmm. you know, so to get to the good stone and not waste their time on the bed. Mm-hmm. And they ended up, all those records luckily didn't get thrown out. Ended up with Amherst Historical Society. Right. Then when new ownership came in said, hey, we're going to start using that quarry again. They actually had to go to Amherst to get their own, records, get the own records to find out where those <laughs> those uh, core samplings were so they would know where to dig now, you know, in the 2000s. Well, it's nice that they kept it at least. Uh, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it served them, that's for sure. Yep. It was mainly sandstone they were pulling out, correct? Yeah, sandstone yeah. this area and, uh, so, you know, uh, nothing else. So limestone is further west. Yeah, I, I don't think it was so you, limestone. So you don't but... get into that. So this area, it's called Berea sandstone because it was first. Oh, really? Yeah, it was first quarried heavily in Berea, Ohio. Uh, oh, over sure. by Baldwin Wallace College. I remember that. Yes, yes. I, that's where I went to school. So I do remember. Okay, the, yeah. I do remember those quarries down by the by yeah. the park, yeah. which today are all you know filled with water. Oh, yeah. they look like big lakes, yep. but uh, they were at one time they were really big, deep quarries. The the ones in Grafton really? didn't get to be that no, large. Yeah, I know ours in the area weren't quite as large, but I I have seen those huge ones down there. So when that so that when that type of stone mm-hmm. got into the industry and was using it, just got called you know Berea sandstone. There's other types, but Hmm. You know, uh, so that's where they got the name. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess my other question is like, how was it? How was it working in those quarries at the time for those those guys way back in the mid eighteen hundreds, late eighteen hundreds? Pretty tough manual labor and very dangerous. Say it's yeah. probably not a safe place to be, was it? No, because you know? it's you're you were using a you know. Equipment that was, you know, instead of steel, it was big logs. Um, you had cable that you don't have the quality control that you'd have now for making heavy cable. So, you know, if there's a defect in it, it starts to pick up a rock and then it snaps. That wire just whips around the quarry oh, and unfortunately, really? you know, take your leg off, arm off, you know, or... Or, or at least give you a nasty cut. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, geez, yeah. I, I mean, you must have, I mean, there must be um, documented evidence of some of those. Yeah, some of those stories yeah. we actually put in the book oh, where, where we found uh, found them in, you know, uh, old books or uh, mm-hmm. newspaper Newspapers, articles, sure. that kind of thing. Um, a number of issues. Uh, and at that time, you know, you had child labor. Uh, I suppose that's true, yeah. Because... Uh, at that at that time, your typical life expectancy was only thirty eight years. If you were um, doing that kind of job, if you were doing that kind of job, if um, you know the the owners uh, lasted much longer because uh, you know when it's cold, they're in the office, and mm-hmm. so they're not catching pneumonia or anything. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, and then they're just not exposed as much to the danger, you know, of the day to day job. But um, they would have 12-year-old boys, which is about back then when you started getting into the workforce, you know. Typically, yeah. And so the, their first job for a lot of them was just carry around a bucket of water with a ladle in it and uh, give water to the men while they're working, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, this one boy in, in the Carlisle quarries, you know, he got tired, so he sat down for a few minutes. Well, he made the mistake. He, he, next, he did it next to a sidetrack in the oh. quarry. And he was just kind of leaning. Oh, uh, uh, he had his arm uh, on the track and wasn't paying attention. Then slowly, a car started coming backward. He didn't see it and ended up taking off his arm. Yeah, that's a good way. Uh, to and it was like eighteen ninety nine. So yeah. you know, medical uh, science wasn't uh, all that great then. But they did sit. You know, I mean, yeah, they amputated his arm and and he lived into the nineteen fifties and huh. you know grew up had kids and you know. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty lucky in a lot of ways. Pr- pr- pretty lucky, but yeah. those kind of accidents, you know, happened. Uh, Fairly common, right? What what kind of technology, I guess, did they use to get stuff out of there? I mean, they we you said they, they used a lot of lumber because they yeah. didn't really have the steel. Yeah, they had uh, what they called guy derricks, which was, you know, a straight mm. up wood post, probably like 
you know, 20, 24 inches around. Um, and to that, you know, they would hook cables to it. And, sure. and it was kind of how to describe it, kind of like a, a, a primitive crane. Mm. And uh, the big ones could handle a circle of about a quarter of an acre. And so if you wanted to move anything, you had to have a lot of these uh, unless you had train cars. Uh, but they pick up the stone, uh, turn, you know, turn it, you know, 180 degrees. They've moved it a quarter acre. Another one picks it up, you know, and, and, along, and yeah. could move it along. Uh, hmm. And so typically that was just to pull it out of the hole in the ground, the quarry, mm -hmm. get it up to ground level and put it on a railroad car where it could go to the cut, the processing area, mm -hmm. uh, which was also in the quarry. Uh, and so they had two areas. One was to make grindstones and another one mm. to make uh, like sidewalk stones or blocks uh, for buildings. Uh, so the grindstones had their own area and Indian Hollow was up on the very north part, you know, of the quarry, uh, which is you know, in the area of Banks Road and Indian Hollow. Uh, back by the river uh, where they did the grindstones. And then about a thousand feet, 1500 feet to the south of that was where they had the blocks and sidewalk cutting done. So they did sort of specialize in areas of it. Yeah, it's huh, just a, just because you did have to have ra uh, rail cars go back in there and they did, they had tracks back there. And so if someone's coming in for a load of grindstones, you know, they can, you know, they're not getting in the way of someone coming in for building for the other stuff. Yeah. Right. So where did some of those build? Like, are there any buildings we should know about that used sandstone uh, in the area? I yeah, think. one one of the most uh, famous in this area would mm -hmm. be the old Lorraine County Courthouse, which was renovated a few years ago, and so yes. it is back in excellent condition these days. Hmm. But when that was constructed, that came out of the quarry um, on in Indian Hollow Road, hmm. and we have a couple proofs of that. One, the uh, quarry. Um, uh, supervisor, his daughter kept a diary and, oh. and mentioned in it, yeah. you know, my father inspected almost every single stone that went into the Lorain County Courthouse. So I take mm -hmm. that as a pretty strong that's, indication that, it's you know, a pretty good argument that, that that's, that's where it yeah. came from. And then the state of Ohio had done a geological survey of some sort in 1916. Yes. And in there was mentioned the sandstone Grafton and the fact that the mm -hmm. Lorain County Courthouse was constructed from the stone in Grafton. Now, there's a lot of, you know, in the 1900s, references to the Lorain County uh, Courthouse coming from Amherst sandstone, and mm -hmm. that's absolutely untrue. Mm -hmm. But the problem was when Cleveland Stone bought uh, Grafton Stone Company, all the records, the records. went to them, mm -hmm. all the records ended up in Amherst. So unless people actually read the documents thoroughly, yeah. they just assume, oh, Amherst Stone, Amherst. It, it came out of Amherst. And sure. there, there's a lot of that. Uh, Old Stone Church, downtown uh, Cleveland, mm. built, made out of Grafton sandstone. Uh, and, you know, you don't have to believe me, uh, you, you know, for, for the, you know, for the Lorraine County Courthouse, they say we got the diary and we got the state of Ohio yeah. and uh, to, and the geological library at Ohio State mm. University looked it up and said, yes, you are correct. It, it was well, there you go. came from uh, Lorraine County. Uh, or Gra uh, Carlisle, not Amherst. There you go. And then the same thing, a, a, a professor for, I believe it was CSU, um, who was a geology you know, expert, mm -hmm. also confirmed that later reports that the 
Old Stoke Church came from Amherst or incorrect. incorrect. He says, you are correct. It came from Grafton. Well, there you go. Uh, what about, you, you said it shipped kind of further out too. Do, do we know of anything outside of the local area? Yeah, there's buildings in Detroit, uh, also oh. in, uh, what's the big city in Canada, um, north of here? Toronto. Um, Toronto. Toronto, sorry. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, right buildings, across the lake then. Yeah, huh? yeah, because that's... They would ship it to Cleveland, and sure. if stuff was going to Canada, they'd put it on boats. Stick it on the ship and send it across. They even put it on ships to take it to Detroit. So, oh, yeah, I would imagine they'd almost have to. I mean, yeah, without the without the rails at that point. Uh, the other interesting one is um, the Ohio State University's Orton Hall, which is on oh, really? which is on the oval of the uh, Ohio State campus. Just a very small part of that building. Uh, was built with sandstone from Grafton. What they wanted to do at that time, since it was going to be a geological library and Mm -hmm. research building even at that time, uh, that they wanted to make it out of sandstone from all the open quarries at the time in Ohio. Ohio, And so that's what they did. And then in the vestibule area where you go into the building, Mm -hmm. they they have all these small columns and there's a number of them, and each column is made from sandstone from a different quarry. And so Grafton is on there, and I should know that it's either number 18 or 19. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's in the book. But if you go oh, in there, cool. yeah. you can see it. And they also have a sign on the wall telling you which column came Kick from which from quarry. Where? So you can, you know, it's 18 or 19, you walk over the thing, and you'll see. You know, get all the details. You, and you'll get the details uh-huh. on where each column come from. So. You know, Grafton is just kind of a t- typical plain sandstone. Mm-hmm. There's reds, browns. Uh, Grafton also had blue, but um, blue. Um, and that was used a lot in buildings because hey, it looks pretty neat. You know, different, yeah, unique. The unfortunate thing about blue is once it's exposed to the air for a number of years, the blue slowly fades away, <laughs> and, you, and you go just to like kind of the gray, you know, back to <laughs> sandstone. So. Uh, um, so yeah, they 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 had a, a lot of blue uh, stone here, but as I say, it ages out. So and I suppose that's what happens with those things. <laughs> it's worth a try, I guess. Oh, <laughs> uh, why don't you talk a little bit more about um, the, I guess the railroads and how they were tied together? Because I remember seeing something on the map for a um, a heart station. Yes, was that related? Because that was in what Southern Carlisle Township. That was in uh, right around the intersection of Indian Hollow and Banks Road. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Hart Station was a little company town. Again, mm-hmm. going back to what we said, 1848, John Hart, Hart started yeah, it. Yeah. And his home uh, is on Indian Hollow Road, about four-tenths of a mile north of uh, Banks Road. And so that was his home base. Um, and, of course, uh, the quarries were just, you know, right along the river there. So, you know, walking distance every day to, to the quarry. And it wasn't, you know, as I said, the main railroad lines at Grafton started around 1850. Mm-hmm. And, but that line that goes from Grafton across the East Branch of the Black River to Indian Hollow Road by Banks and then continues on to Slife and Illyria mm-hmm. and Lorraine, yeah. um, that did not start operations till is either 1870 or 1872. Uh, I think it was 18. 18- 70, mm-hmm. uh, when that line was put in. And so at that point, uh, Grafton had a, a passenger stop on that rail line, and that went 
further south and uh, eventually ended up down by the Ohio River, I yeah. believe. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but to start out, you know, it had the northern route uh, from Lorraine going to Grafton mm-hmm. and went a little further east and another branch went up toward Cleveland. And anyway, so they, they put the passenger rail stop at Grafton. They put another one on Indian Howell Road there because a lot of your labor, especially, came from the Cleveland area. Uh, so, oh, sure. they, so they took the main rails to Grafton. From Grafton, you know, if they wanted to go out there, they could t- jump on there and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and get off at the uh, Hart Station, as they called it back then. Or you could go to Elyria. You know, the next stop was uh, Slife Road by the what's now the Slave Road Golf Course. Back then, that was known as the O'Connor uh, Rail Stop. And it also had like a little, you know, general store there. So uh, so there are little stops so, yeah, all the way quite, between between Indian Hollow and uh, Lorraine. It's so, quite a few little stops in reality. Right. So so those those workers didn't live in the area? Well, some what, what they did was what? if they wanted, uh, you know, you had a number of them that lived in Grafton or mm-hmm. lived, you know, Indian Hollow Banks area, mm-hmm. but they also had during the high season, which oh, is like eight months out of sure. the year, um, you would have people come from Cleveland, uh, take the train, and there was like temporary housing on Indian Hollow Road. They had old uh, uh, log cabins, small dirt floor. And why, you know, during the working months, sure. you know, the guys would live there, they'd leave their family in Cleveland, mm-hmm. you know, and, then, but on, you know, if they had time on a weekend, you know, they could take the train. It's not a very long trip. It's not you know? that far. No. So they could go visit and then mm-hmm. come back, you know, so they might do that a couple of times uh, during uh, the working during the season. season. Yeah. And then, you know, with snow and ice doesn't work well with coring. So. No, I wouldn't imagine that would be. Um, so your out-of-town labor would go home, mm-hmm. uh, and then some of the people who were local would get the winter work, as they called it, mm-hmm. which was, you know, you'd have scrap piles that were in the that build up during the summer, and you want to get them out of the way. That's the kind of stuff they would do, but they didn't want to do anything where you're walking on a lot of ice. And you know. no, because that would be. I mean, it's dangerous. As <laughs> it's it's it dangerous is. enough as it was. And so. in snow and ice, that seems like a recipe for a disaster. Disaster, indeed. So, so you said the house was the house is still there, right? Well, or the, a later a later a, iteration. A, the, yeah, there's parts of it still there, mm-hmm. and the barn is still there. Oh, the barn. But okay. it, but it looks like something happened to the house around 1909. Uh, mm. The same thing happened to the stone house around 1909. Uh, you know, vandalism even back then. You know, I, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It happens. Well, but the the one stone house of his neighbors was vandalized and sat open to the weather for a few years and then somebody bought it and replaced the windows sure. and something like that apparently happened to the hard house. So mm-hmm. most of what there is now is the original foundation is there, okay. but the house is like a Sears house from like 1915. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so, huh. so, yeah. I, I, so we call it the hard house, but a lot it, of it is mainly the heart foundation. It's the heart foundation, mm-hmm. but huh. it, it's a Sears house. It's still, yeah. That, but they save the doors and tr- oh, really? and different wood trim because you, you just didn't tear stuff down and no. throw it away back no. then. So, although we're saying it's a Sears house, it's not really parts of it is what they were missing and needed. They ordered from Sears, but sure. but 
he had doors and lumber from the old house that they reused when, you know, when they, but of course it wasn't him as the next person on the property because yeah. he died in the 1890s. So, and that's why, that's why it fell in disrepair because by that time his wife was living in Illyria, didn't come out to the old farm house anymore and it just kind of sat and decayed for a while. So yeah, sometimes those places will do that, won't they? So, <laughs> but you, know, you you talked about dangers uh, for mm. quarry workers. The big thing was the dust. Oh, the dust. Um, mm. You breathe it in, and and I, uh, they have a term for it, but basically, you know, it, it can kill you in a matter of you know five seven years. Oh, that's um, quick, huh? Yeah, and so the local Catholic church at that time uh, said, "Geez, I have uh, a big parish of widows because." Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the husbands would work there for several years, get sick, and and, and pass away. And uh, Grafton Stone Company did try to do something about it. Uh, they would, um, mm-hmm. in their buildings where they're sawing sandstone, they used a wire that you would pass back and forth on the stone. Mm-hmm. And once it got a groove into it, they put like a slurry of metal shavings and water, and that would speed up the cutting process. Um, but it also gave off a lot of this dust. Yeah. Yeah. And so what they tried to do back then was just have like a mist spray on the stone while it's being cut to keep Mm -hmm. the, the, uh, the dust levels down. Some of it down at least. Yeah. And so it was, you know, but back then it was kind of on the leading edge of trying to Mm -hmm. reduce, uh, the damage caused by the dust back then. So it's a lot like the mining in that respect. The dust yes. is actually Yeah, a like a coal miner, I mean, right. Not that different in reality. D- different disease, but the same, same. result. Right? Yeah. yeah. Kind of caused by similar things, the particulate matter in the in air. The air. Up. So do we know anything about any more of the, I guess, some of the smaller quarries in the area? Like, what are some details about... Um, so, or what did they become, I suppose, after they're done is actually what I'm trying to get mm-hmm. at. Like, mm-hmm. like kind of what happened to them? Well, as you say, once once you dig a big hole in the ground, <laughs> it, it fills with water. Yeah. Uh, you know, so when they're in operations, they'd always have to keep a pump going. Oh, sure. I guess You know, sense, to, yeah. to pump the groundwater out or rainwater rain out. Yeah. And they typically dug the quarries uh, with a low side so that the water... As they're going down, as they're cutting down, the water would run to one side of the quarry, and they kind of had like a sump pump pit, you know. And so the one along Indian Hollow, you know, the water depth is pretty, uh, you know, about the same, except for one corner where where it's about four foot deeper, Hmm. and all the water would run to that hole, and then periodically they pump it out. But nowadays, as you say, once you quit pumping the water out, it fills up to a you know, the water, uh, the water table or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and there it sits. So if you look at core, if quarries like Berea, what do they become? They become parks. Essentially. Yeah, and no. so Grafton Willow Park, <laughs> well, yep. it's a park. <laughs> so Indian Hollow Reservation mm-hmm. is a park. Yep. Yeah. And so typically a lot of the quarries, you know, end up being parks. Mm-hmm. Now you had the huge operation out in Amherst mm-hmm. and, you know, they shut those quarries down not that long ago. It was in the 2000s. Oh, that know, So it's within the last 20 mm-hmm. years uh, before they went exclusively to the neighboring county. Mm-hmm. And that was supposed to be a big housing development 
uh, you know, high end. Oh, really? uh, and those quarries are deep, you know, yeah. 150, they, 200 feet deep. And that's a lot of water. Well, yeah. anyway, they've, they've filled up. And so they're going to put housing around them. Uh, but then, of course, the Great Recession hit. And so that slowed that down yeah. and the various things. And I thought I heard some project was maybe being, you know, rethought of again. But uh, hasn't happened yet. But, you know, eventually something will, will happen take advantage uh, of that. with it because yeah. it's just a lot of nice property. You know, uh, once it's developed, it'll be nice. But. That's true. So how did the quarries, I guess, wind down in our area? Uh, the big thing... You know, in the 1890s, sandstone quarrying was, you know, there was probably three, four hundred people at a time working in the Grafton area mm-hmm. in sandstone quarries mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, the, the railroads were being built, the country's being built. Uh, used to be a lot of the sidewalks in Grafton uh, were sandstone, just slabs cut right out of the local uh, quarry. Yeah. Um, if you notice some of the steps on the older houses here, Mm-hmm. All sandstone yeah. steps. Uh, that was you know major building material, and so in the 1890s they were going. Uh, you know, electricity got going by the 1890s, so they could you know at times uh, when it was things were really cooking, they would generate their own electricity because there was no electric company yet. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know? So they kind of and, light their own quarries and, and light up at least the like the, the, the inside of the buildings where they're processing. Yeah, where they're know? working. And they do a little of that, and then a recession hits, and then you don't have to do that. So, um, and speaking of so around 1892, 1893, there was a big national recession. Mm-hmm. Okay. And right before that, the quarries in Grafton were just going full tilt. And at that time, the only railroads that the quarry company owned, Grafted Stone Company owned, were their own in in the quarry uh, tracks. Yeah. And so at that time, they planned a new railroad uh, called the Grafton Brunswick Railroad, and it was hmm. going to run the Brunswick, Ohio. Really. And it was going to, and they were going to have a couple quarries along that route, hmm. and so that train would just service those quarries. And bring the stone back to Grafton mm-hmm. to put on the to main out, rail yeah. lines to go to either north or south, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati. Um, and just as so they planned it mm-hmm. in uh, railroad books, it's actually on a map, uh, oh. but they call it a paper railroad, which is a common thing back then. People would want to build a railroad, they'd lay it out, they'd get whatever you know permissions they mm-hmm. needed from the government. And uh, and so you had a paper railroad, and then yep. it, and then for whatever reason, never got built. And in the case of the Grafton Brunswick Railroad, it didn't get built because the next year, big national recession hit. Yeah. By the time that recession started to come out, somebody decided to make more use of concrete, uh, okay. <laughs> and, and so yeah. as concrete became more common, mm-hmm. uh, uses for sandstone declined. Mm-hmm. And so by 1916, when the state of Ohio did their geological survey and noted that sandstone uh, was one time produced in great abundance in Grafton. Mm-hmm. They said by 2000 or 1916, it was down to one working quarry. Um, and probably along the railroad tracks there, we believe is like, you know, what's now the swim quarry mm-hmm. uh, was probably the last, the last one. And that's also followed up because we have pictures. The quarry company went around, and took pictures oh, sure. um, in in 1910. So that's 
starting to get in that time frame. And the working quarries that they were showing were where the swim quarry was and another one right next to it. So Mm -hmm. you kind of figure that's probably, you know, the last ones they were using. That must be, yeah. Well, I guess as building materials changed, they didn't. That they were cheaper to make concrete than it was to right, quarry right. sandstone. I of course, the, of course, the other side of it is you got sandstone bridges that have been around a very long time. Yeah, and the concrete ones every twenty five yeah. years or so, it seems like they need to you know yeah, half that's... half dismantle them and rebuild them. So <laughs> well, that's the difference. That sandstone. You know, pay me now or pay me later. <laughs> Basically, yes, and well, that's I guess what we lose when we don't have those quarries. They, that that stuff will last for centuries. Yeah. Theoretically, but I mean, take for example the bridge on uh, Parsons Road, small bridge, mm-hmm. you know, but the piers underneath it are sandstone. Now the t- t- you know you got steel and everything mm-hmm. uh, above it, so I don't know when the current bridge went in, but the abutments are sandstone, mm-hmm. and all you have to do is take well a, a little uh, hike uh, <laughs> north. Uh, along the river mm-hmm. and you can see where they cut the stone right out of the riverbank. So they did, so they didn't have to move the stone to build that bridge, um, you know, more than a couple hundred yards. Yeah. And that'll last for ever. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, you may, you may take the steel structure off and set but, it back on top. Of the <laughs> but those footers aren't going to be going anywhere. Right. Well, that's the, that's the benefit, I suppose, to that material. Yep. That's why they used it in so many buildings in the area, I guess. That's what they had too. They didn't really mm-hmm. have concrete in the same way. Are there any other, I guess, interesting facts that you think people don't know too much of or about mm-hmm. when it comes to the quarries in the area? I've, I've, the thing for me was, you know, I had a general idea of how the quarries work before we started on the book. Mm-hmm. I had no clue as to mm-hmm. the settlers that had lived along Indian Hollow Road. Parsons, Banks, Slife, mm-hmm. you know, Barnett Ridge, Laporte. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so digging in to do the history on this, you learned how people live that way. It was just kind of fascinating, you know, yeah. um, you know, whether the guy has a blacksmith shop. Well, what, why does he have a blacksmith shop there? Well, because he's right next to the quarry company and they use all kinds of metal, you know, tools and they would just have them make them right next door. Um, yeah, I mean, the quarries had that huge imp- economic impact. Exactly. It's just such a wide range. It's like any any major industry you see moving into town nowadays, all, right. the, all the side things pop up nearby. Yeah, because prior to the quarries getting going, it was basically yeah. farmland. You know, That's anybody came in, true. started a farm, <laughs> yeah. you know, and uh, and then as more businesses popped up, you, you know, you tell like a lot of farmers now, they farm, but they have another job. Side job, yeah. And so... Mm-hmm. Same back then, you know, if there was a need, they would they would fill it. They filled that need because that's what you did. So, you know, real simple life, uh, little things were big deals and talked about for years because sure. other than other than <laughs> eating and sleeping and working and mostly working, yep. you know, there weren't too many uh, special events. And one of the ones outlined in the book was mm-hmm. the first U.S. flag flown in the area. Oh, really? And you kind of take that for granted everywhere, you know, post yeah, office today, and yeah. every town you go by has a U.S. flag. But when you're in the 1840s living in the Grafton area, you're in deep wilderness at that point. Oh, yeah. Those are people that, that cut farms out of primeval forests. Exactly. Yeah. And which is what happened around here. Mm-hmm. And they may get the occasional newspaper or something and and 
in the 1840s, uh, about 1847 or 8, uh, one uh, teenager uh, living on Indian Howe Road got a description in a newspaper of what the 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 Congress's definition of what the U.S. flag is. So it just, you know, oh. so it says how many stripes and a field huh. of stars and the whole bit, mm-hmm. you know. But you had to kind of picture it in your head because it didn't, you know, you'd never seen one before. I suppose, no, they wouldn't have. So, so going by the congressional, you know, description of a U.S. flag, this kid mm-hmm. made one, you know. Mm-hmm. And, of course, for red, he used, I think they said, pokeberries to, you know, to stain, to stain, it, yeah. to stain it because, you know, you had did. So it was a very primitive U.S. flag. Mm-hmm. But uh, so and he was a next door neighbor of Mr. Hart. So uh, he decided on July 4th, he got up at sunrise and climbed this huge oak tree in front of Mr. <laughs> Hart's house, which actually stood in the I think it was the northbound lane to Indian Howe Road. Of course, at that time, it was just a dirt road. So when you got to the tree in the road, you just went around it, you know. (laughs) So, well, the top half of this oak tree was dead because it had been hit by lightning at Mm -hmm. one point. And so he climbed up up into the dead part and he had his flag on a pole and he lashed it to one of the branches up there. And there it was (laughs) uh, waving in the wind. And then, uh, you know, as uh, people with their wagons would look up there and what in the world what is then, that? So they'd stop and they, oh, that's a United States flag. Yeah. We just said, you know, it's a, today's July 4th. And, you know, so, and that became a big deal. And, and people would talk about it years later, you know, in the 1850s, they're still talking about it. You know? Yeah, well, it's one of those big, big things for out in the country. Yeah. I mean, didn't have a lot of access. And, and you know, they had other stories, like, you know, how they made charcoal. Mm-hmm. You know, and basically you dug a pit, put a bunch of logs in it, set it on fire. Then you somehow buried it without completely putting it out. Mm-hmm. You wanted it to burn slow, apparently. Yeah. And, but this is at a time when there were still black bears in the area in the 1840s. Oh, sure. You know, they, mm-hmm. uh, they had been killed off by the settlers by the 1870s because uh, they lost too many pigs to the bears. Yeah, I was going to say, they and lost so livestock and you know, so back then you didn't worry about conservation. You said, "Hey, no, they're raiding my pig pen." So no, there, there are bounties on those animals. Exactly. Know, so. so, so, but you would have this had to be watched twenty four hours a day. Mm-hmm. You know, until until it was done, and so as a 13-year-old kid, 12-year-old kid, you're out there in the middle of the night. There's no street lights. It's pitch dark. And you're monitoring this this charcoal pit, you know. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there's bears there's around, you know. Bears and wolves. And bears and, too, I know. So, <laughs> so, so uh, you know, a little... Uh, uh, it was a dangerous life. A little more dangerous <laughs> than when I grew up there in the 60s yeah. and 70s. And so. yeah, now we just walk down the street and don't think about it a whole lot. Exactly. Walking down the street in the old days, there could have been a bear yep. on the other side of the house. And <laughs> yep. Also, there's nobody nearby. <laughs> well, is there anything else you wanted to, I guess, share about the the quarries that that you found and over the years? Probably the big thing is is even if you don't read the book, uh, if you come to the library, get it, just page through the pictures. Oh, they're yeah. great pictures. But because there's so many too. Yeah. You know, you can you can stand in the park if you go on the Windfall Quarry Trail, mm-hmm. which is you know right at the western end of the bridge that goes over the Metro Parks mm-hmm. put in that goes over the river. On the western edge, they have a sign there saying you know Windfall Quarry yep. Trail, and 
you, you look at that picture, it's also the same picture that's on the cover of the book. Mm-hmm. And you can go back in there and see where that spot was because mm-hmm. there's still a bunch of grindstones on the ground left over, yeah. uh, left over. And basically the reason a lot of them are still there is because, you know, they would pile these things up anywhere from half a dozen to a dozen high when they're going to ship them. Mm-hmm. And so they typically never shipped the very bottom stone on the pile because they had taken the effort to get that very level. Because mm-hmm. if it was level, you could stack else up another be. double, you know, another 12 on there and it would still be level. Mm-hmm. You know, the last thing you want is something on a 30 degree angle that weighs tons and tons and tons. That'd so, so as quarry operations kind of wound down, you know, and they're shipping less and less, they finally got to the point where you had a lot of these bottom stones mm-hmm. and they didn't have any stones piled on because the demand's not there. Mm-hmm. Now then you had a few piles where they did have several on it. And so when it closed down, that's just, just they were just there. left there and that's where it is. And now a lot of people will see there, there's a, a pile of stones right on the bank of the river. And they'll see that a lot of them are washed into the river and they're broken in half and the whole bit. And a lot of them said, well, that's where they threw the rejects. There is some truth to that. They did just pitch some rejects in. But a lot of the big ones that are in that pile along the river, that was like the main loading spot. Mm -hmm. And when it was abandoned over the years, the river's gotten wider. It eroded the dirt. Sure. It erode the dirt right out from under them, and then the piles slid yes. into the river. Mm-hmm. So, and then some of them broke, some of them didn't. So, sure, so there's some truth. They, they, and they, you know, uh, on the very, you know, the small grindstones are maybe only six inches in diameter or a foot. You know, this real small ones were used for like you know sharpening your hoe mm-hmm. or a uh, or a knife or something like that. Um, you have a small grindstone. They made those back there. Well, all they would do is cut a flat rock out to make those and then just cut the corners off. Oh, to make it up. All those corners, you know, were, you know, thrown in the river or put along the bank, you know, to slow down the erosion. To fill, yeah, you know, erosion. And, you know, a lot of that's still back there, but at this point where most of them are is private property. So, you know, yeah. uh, best just to look in the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to go over there. Well, actually, that reminded me of one other question. What did they use the big ones for, those big grindstones? What I always heard was it was for milling, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, now, other people say no because it, it'll grind it'll, the sand into the, into yeah. the grain. Into the, yeah, the seed, it's like, yeah. well, to this day, you're probably eating more than just grain. When you know. I would imagine so. <laughs> so, well, so because it, it, the milling industry was huge around yeah, here, so I, I mean, kind of figured there had to be It was probably just a little extra fiber, you know. So. Yeah, you know. And well, I forgot what the for the big ones. There's probably commercial big commercial uses, uses yeah. but um, and a lot of your smaller ones were sold to farmers mm-hmm. um, for their implements. And yeah, for like their that, implements, yeah. and and some of them they actually would be. It was kind of like a bicycle wheel. They actually had pedals and a seat. Sure, sure. And you get that grindstone spinning, and then you just take your knife and put it on there, and it would spark. And just it, the whole you know, thing. And, and, and you would do all your tools that way. So those things we see in the movies, of, yeah. of blacksmiths sharpening their thing on those grindstones. Yeah. So, they but came also, out of here, yeah. And usually about once every other, either once a year or every other year, I will uh, lead a hike for the Lorraine County mm-hmm. uh, Metro Parks. And 
those are, you know, published in like the rural urban and on the Metro Park site and the Arrowhead and that kind of thing. And uh, in the past, we've done them in uh, cold weather because it's easier to see stuff with the leaves Without down. The leaves, yeah, yeah. But, you know, we know that there's a certain population that doesn't want to go out there no. when it's 25, 30 <laughs> degrees out. So I think we're probably going to do one this year in the summer in oh, June. Good. And, uh, you know, just... Uh, the only difference is everybody needs to make sure they use their bug spray if it's a if it's a buggy day. Yeah, and, need to worry about that for sure. And and they can go they could go on the hike and see exactly yeah. where these things were and and we point out the uh, you know the little uh, you know steam lines mm-hmm. that are still there or you know the, uh, grindstones and parts of other you know buildings that you know. Uh, not a lot left at this point, but no, but still, you can you can see where you can see his kind of history right in front of your face, which right. is uh, right because we can we can stand there and show them a picture from 1910 and go, this is what this looked like. If you were here in 1910, mm-hmm. this is what it looked like. And that's, I mean, how 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 many places can you do that in this area? Right, in any from, area, really, from it's, a historic yeah, standpoint, it's fascinating to see, and it's right there. And, but it, it's it's just amazing. You go in this quiet place mm-hmm. in the woods along the river, yep. you know, and you're out there in nature. And it's just hard to imagine that, like, when the great Chicago fire hit, mm-hmm. okay, and a lot of Chicago's built a wood back then. Sure so was. they had so they had the massive fire. Well, mm-hmm. when they rebuilt from that, a lot of the property owners said, we're going to build a stone so that we don't, you know, have this repeat. Mm-hmm. And at that time, so a lot of quarries in the U.S. were shipping all kinds of stone to Chicago, as and the Carlisle Township and Grafton quarries were doing the same thing. And I'm just picturing, you know, you know, because I know where the rail mm-hmm. yard was and, and where all the the pickup points were. And you just imagine all these workers you know, as people. fast as they could trying to, you know. Uh, you know, get the, this block onto uh, rail cars and send it to Chicago so that they can uh, rebuild uh, the city. You know, just this industrial, heavily industrial center, and now it's now it's now just it's a, nature and the silent park. Essentially, it's yeah, it's just kind of amazing what a hundred years will do. And it's kind of you know other things you learned mm-hmm. when you do uh, research like this is, you know, I, I could some people argue they. When you're in the suburbs around Cleveland, oh, all the nature's going away and the trees and the whole bit. And it's true in those local areas that's happening. But there's more trees in Ohio now in 2022 than there were in all of Ohio in 1910. Sure. And that's because everybody was cutting the trees down back then and Farming burning them for firewood. All sorts of things, you know? yeah. And uh, it got to the point, and the local settlers right out of their diary, you know, mm-hmm. mentioned they go, geez, there's hardly any trees to be found anymore. Well, then luckily they were able to switch to coal and then natural gas, you know, for heating. Um, and then, yeah. and so now there's areas, you know, have grown back to woods Reforested, yeah. uh, that were wide open. Well, you see these pictures and there's just, there's not a tree. There's like three, there, three trees yeah. in it. And that's in the middle of what's now a forest. Yes. Uh, yeah. That, that picture there yeah. is now all woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the cover of the book. And there's. Three trees in sight in this yep. entire picture. Yeah, and it's because they happen to be right along the railroad, they were, so they're right along the property line, mm-hmm. so they didn't need they to didn't cut. Need to mess with them. And yeah. That's the only reason. But it is kind of fascinating how nature sort of retaken that area when mm-hmm. it was the biggest industry in the 
mm-hmm. in the county. That's it. And, and that's what most, of the, you know, the book focuses on is not just, you know, how they did it, where they did mm-hmm. it, you know, why they did it, but, you know, how, you know, we get into specific, you mm-hmm. know, we were able to find, you know, people's names and where they lived yeah. and, 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 uh, and, and talk about that, which was, is, you know, probably more interesting than, uh, than knowing what the, you know, percentages of minerals are in the, I mean, you know, the, the people are the interesting part in a lot of ways because right. the people are the why history happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's what I always say. So it's always good to know the stories, especially those, those people who are involved in these things. And mm-hmm. So at this, this point, you know, it's not be to meant to be a commercial because I'm not going to sell it, but <laughs> we've done two editions of this book. Yeah. You know, the yeah. second one corrected a few errors in the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to get out a third edition that corrects the few errors I've since found in, sure, in the second sure. edition. And it might add just a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, a picture or two here and, and that, but so there's going to be hopefully another edition, third edition coming out. Oh, excellent! And uh, but it's only going probably only going to be available at the Carlisle Township yep. Bicentennial um, oh, sure. Family Day that is scheduled for September 10th. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be somewhere there, and then the day after the uh, old fire station is going to have exhibits. So yep. either the event on the 10th or the event on the 11th at the fire station is. I'm, my plan is to give out, you know, 50 of these books for free mm-hmm. if I get my changes done and if yeah. I get the printer. If you, you get know. it all finished. And it's April, end. so I should be able to do it, yep. you know. So uh, if you're looking for a copy of the book yep. right now, you know, yep. the, the library is about it because it's been out of print for a while. A long time, yeah. Uh, or, you know, make sure you show up for the Come Carlisle the Township Bicentennial uh, yeah. event. And, uh, it's going to be a lot of interesting and things. Get, yeah. And get yourself a free copy of it because uh, at this point, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I'm just going to eat the cost on it. They're not that expensive to print up. So uh, well, that's one of the reasons we're talking today is to hopefully highlight Carlisle's history and mm-hmm. for their big event this year, their bicentennial is this year. And, and, you know, if the books are gone by the time you get there, I'm also going to have about 80 uh, DVDs there because before yep. the book came out, people kept asking, when's the book when's coming? The- when's the book coming? <laughs> so we finally did a 17 minute mm-hmm. DVD just to give out until until the book came out. So I had uh, you know like a hundred of those reprinted recently. Yep, and, I saw uh, you with the box. Yes, the big <laughs> box. So I'm uh, keeping a few of those, but I'll probably have 75, 80 of them that will also be at the Carlisle Township you know, bicentennial Excellent. event starting at 11 till 5 on September 10th. <laughs> or the next day from yeah. like 1 to 5 uh, at the uh, old uh, – the fire station, and so if you see one there, you'll be free to grab yeah. one. And there's a uh, lot of a lot of great stuff in there. And for those of us who did not grow up in the area but have been here a long time, it's good to learn these things and mm-hmm. kind of realize what what life was like and what, what yeah. people experienced. Here, so. and, and the DVD, you know, mm-hmm. does it doesn't cover the history of the quarries as mm-hmm. deep as the book does, sure. but it does um, concentrate a little more on the. Lorraine County Metro Parks and how the Indian Hollow Reservation came to be, yeah. and so and it's only seventeen minutes. So if if it's you're worth watching, if you're having trouble falling asleep, throw it in, <laughs> throw it in the player, and probably fifteen minutes later you'll be out. So <laughs> you'll get the whole thing. It's it's an interesting story, I think personally. So. Well, is there anything else you wanted to share today? 
No? Eh, that's probably that's it. Good. Other than, you know, I, I did my commercial and then, uh, well, a couple commercials. Because, again, yeah. you know, look in the Arrowhead or the Okie website. And if you actually want to go on a hike, uh, we've had, mm-hmm. you know, up to almost 50 people oh, at yeah. a time. So, uh, and at this point, I think the park no longer makes you register ahead of time because they were doing that with yes, COVID because they, they didn't want the groups to get too big. Mm-hmm. So during COVID, you know, we didn't have more than about 15 people because we just wanted to keep the keep it group smaller. size down, yeah. you know. So it's worthwhile for people, I think. So, mm-hmm. well, 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 thanks for having me yeah. in. Well, thanks very much for coming. And um, we'll hopefully be talking to you about other things at some point. But if you if you have any other things to share, just let us know. And. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. (laughs) A huge thank you to our guest, Chris Smith, for joining us to discuss the history of the quarry industry in the Carlisle and Grafton areas today. Remember that if you are interested in reading Chris and his co-author's book, The Lost Quarry Industry of Indian Hollow and Willow Park, you can check it out from the library. For more local history content, check out the Grafton Midview Public Library's collection online at gmplibrary.org slash local history. If you have a question for us or a topic you'd like us to explore in a future episode, or if you want to participate and share, email us at postcardsfromgrafton at gmail.com. Also, mark your calendars for the Carlisle Bicentennial events coming up on October 8th and 9th in the afternoons at the Township Hall. You'll find photo displays and audio presentations about the history of the township to enjoy. Check out the township website at carlisletownship.com for complete details.